Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. According to a new report from the United States Department of Agriculture, in 2022, 17 million households in America were food insecure. And that's in line with what we're seeing right now in Chicago. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's been reported that one in five households in the greater metro Chicago area now don't reliably have enough food to eat. But why is that? To really understand what's contributing to the food insecurity in this city— We spoke with Sophie Milam, Vice President of Public Policy and Advocacy at the Greater Chicago Food Depository. And I started by asking Sophie how food insecurity is measured. So food insecurity is measured annually uh, using census data. There's a survey that um, households across the country participate in in December of each year. So the data that came out today is based from December of 2022. um, And it asks questions of families. Do you have enough resources? Have you ever skipped a meal, reduced a portion size? Have you... um, Reduce the nutritional quality of the food that you eat because you didn't have enough money to afford more nutritious food. So it's a a set of questions that are asked consistently year over year to measure food insecurity. Yeah, the the USDA report I mentioned, it shows that the number of households that are facing food insecurity, that it's statistically higher than uh, than the previous year. But they're they're still relatively um, a small portion of the population. Explain that. Well, you know, I I don't think it's a small portion of the population. We have uh, close to 13 percent of households across the country that are struggling to put food on the table. Um, That goes up when you're talking about households with children, over 17 percent of households. And so uh, there are families across Chicago and Cook County, across the country that don't always have enough to eat, that are struggling, making decisions every day about how they're going to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. And this report really underscores that, that uh, the number of people who are struggling has increased significantly over the last year. Yeah. To your point, I mean, the 12.8 percent or 13 percent amounts to 17 million households. Right. Exactly. A lot of people. Uh, so as, as we talked about earlier, one in five households experience food insecurity um, and that's up from previous years. I mean, was was there a surprise for you in seeing that? Sadly, there was. It was really not a surprise that food insecurity increased. If you think about 2022, it was a year when food inflation was the highest it had been since 1979, 10%. Um, inflation in other parts of the household budget were also up. Um, median wages were down. We also, a lot of the COVID era policies that were put in place to support families expired in 2022. And so when you have a situation where your household expenses are increasing, your wages are going down, and then you take away um, those supports for families, it, it, it really wasn't a surprise. Um, I, you know, I think there's three headlines here. One is that need persists. It's not on the front page like it was during COVID, but there are families across our community, across the country that are struggling to put food on the table. And that's important for folks to know. Um, the second is that the safety net works. We actually had this natural experiment over the last few years where because of COVID, Mm -hmm. we invested significantly in supporting people, making increasing benefits, making it easier to enroll. um, Tell us more about that, because we saw a lot of social safety nets during the pandemic and, and all of these temporary programs that came out of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, there were existing programs that were expanded and then temporary programs that were stood up. Nutrition assistance, rental assistance were increased. Mm -hmm. Um, The child tax credit was expanded. Um, There were also temporary programs like universal free meals for, for children. All of this helped families, helped individuals weather that kind of chaotic economic um, period of COVID. Unfortunately, those expired right at the time when inflation hit hard. Um, and it, and it's, it's really been difficult for families. We saw earlier this year poverty spiked by historic amount. And now today it's validating what we already knew, which is that food insecurity is increasing as well. Something else we saw spike in inflation. Absolutely. Right. And uh, this increase in food prices impacted, severely impacted a a number of food insecure households. Yeah. And it was, you know, I've been um, in this space for many years and there have been other bouts of food inflation, but I've never seen anything like this. Um, Historically, food inflation is around 2%. I've seen it, you know, in the 4% range or, or so, and that's quite high. When you're talking about month over month, double digit food inflation, that's in, impossible for families to manage, especially when in, in this situation, it was everywhere. Sometimes you'll have food inflation just um, on meats or um, just on dairy products, but everything was going up. And it mm-hmm. was beyond food, too. Um, the cost of gas was exorbitant, um, utilities, other types of things, other types of household necessities. So families really have been hit hard over the last couple of years. Well, to that end, let's listen to Audra Wilson, who's president and CEO of the Shriver Center on Poverty Law, and her thoughts on the impact that those safety net programs we discussed during COVID uh, versus what we're seeing now. We know for a fact that when you have the economic stimulus, when you have these investments with the American Rescue Plan, we were able to see dips in child poverty significant, mm-hmm. especially because knowing that in the United States, that among our, our developed countries, that our rates of child poverty are, are unconscionable. Anything to add, Sophie? No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think it, it is unconscionable, um, the child poverty that we have, the child food insecurity that we have. And in fact, it's also unconscionable that even when we've just learned that families are struggling and we've also seen how important these safety net programs can be, that there are proposals in the House of Representatives to cut programs. Programs like WIC. WIC provides nutrition for pregnant and postpartum moms, infants, and young children. And there are proposals to cut the fruits and vegetables that children receive, to cut that in half. Now, I'm pretty sure that fruits and vegetables are are still good for kids. I haven't heard that change. So those years of trying to get kids to eat fruits and vegetables because of their many benefits. It defies logic and is just one of of several ways that um, some members of Congress are trying to make it harder for working families. They're proposing to cut overall funding for WIC up to... 17,000 people in Illinois might lose their benefits if that proposal goes through. There are other proposals, um, SNAP, also known as LINK here in Illinois. Mm -hmm. This is a program where 80% of households include children, older adults, people with disability, people who can't necessarily work. There are proposals to make it harder to apply. We're war on poverty type proposals like drug testing, um, you know, in- increasing work per- uh, requirements, even for older adults. This is not the conversation that we should be having. We should be learning from the important success of those investments and in safety net, those those supports for people and doubling down on that. Yeah. Let's go back to that report and, and what we saw in there. How do the national numbers compared to what's happening here in Chicago? 
so, you know, nationally, we saw an increase in, in hunger overall. We also saw an increase in child hunger. Um, uh, we saw an increase across the board, elderly individuals, um, racial disparities and in, in hunger also increased. That really mirrors what we see here in Chicago. We are fortunate um, during COVID, we've been able to get uh, data a little bit more quickly. Um, um, economist by the name of Diane Schausenbach takes census data from the Household Pulse Survey and is able to do food insecurity estimates. So if we look at that local level data from last month, what we see is that household food insecurity in Chicago is more like 20%. And for households with children, 25%. So even higher. Even higher. And part of why that is, is that, you know, we talked at the, the top of the show that um, this report that came out today, this was based on a survey done in December of last year. Well, since that time, food inflation has continued to increase. And oh, by the way, we have cut SNAP benefits for individuals. So while as sobering as this report is about the increase in hunger, we are anticipating that um, when next year's report comes out, what we're already seeing in our communities is that hunger has continued to increase. So you what I'm hearing you say is you anticipate that next year's USDA report is going to lead to even more food insecurity. It's certainly what we're seeing now. Our, our our food pantries, our network of amazing community partners are serving 13% more people now than they were a year ago. Um, so every indicator that we have is that food insecurity it continues to grow. That cut in SNAP benefits that you are describing there, are you talking about the end of yes. the pandemic era? Yes, that's right. Uh, supplemental SNAP benefits? That's right. And you know what? Folks, policymakers might say, oh, this is a temporary increase that we took away. But if you're a family receiving those benefits, it was a cut. This this rise uh, of in, in food insecurity, how is that straining resources? Like, I mean, what position are you put in at the, the Greater Chicago Food Depository? It, it has been a challenge. Um, you know, we are dealing with some of the same dynamics that families are, meaning, um, we are not only serving more and more people coming to our network of pantries and, and community partners, but the cost of food is increasing for us as well. We are spending so much more on food than we were um, just a few years ago, in part because the number of people in need has increased, but also because the cost of food is higher. And so um, how are, many families are you serving? We're serving about 400,000 individuals a month right now, Okay, um, which is, is just remarkable. And um, and you're supplying to pantries. How many? We have about 800 partners across Chicago and Cook County that we work with to provide groceries, to provide meal programs, other uh, supports to, to families. And, um, you know, it's we thought that things might slow down after COVID, and, and they haven't. It's I would say that the demand that we're seeing now is as great, if not greater, than kind of those early crazy days of COVID that everyone was watching on the news to mm -hmm. see lines around the block, cars lined up to get food assistance. And as, as we know, the House of Representatives has been without a speaker for the past several weeks. We know voting is happening right now as we speak. This means, though, legislation like the Farm Bill uh, which you know sets limits for food assistance can't be worked on or passed. What does that mean for people on the ground? Yeah, it's um, the farm bill, the budget. You know, there is um, the House of Representatives is not at work, and there are clearly people across the country that need them doing their jobs, strengthening these these programs. Um, there's a budget. We have a temporary budget agreement that expires in November seventeenth. Um, without that, we could potentially, if, if we had another government shutdown, um, like we've seen in the past, that puts nutrition program funding at risk. 
Um, there's some programs that can weather a short-term shutdown of, of a few days or, or a few weeks, and there are others that can't. The WIC program, again, is one of those that's really at risk. Uh, the Secretary of Agriculture said uh, when we nearly went to a shutdown in September that he expects that within days of a shutdown that WIC program would run out of benefits. Mm-hmm. Now, that'll vary a little bit from state to state. I don't want to cause fear among people, but these are really real concerns. Um, the longer a shutdown like that goes on, you have federal employees who aren't getting paid. In 2019, when the government was shut down for over a month, there are federal employees who have to go to work even though they aren't getting a paycheck. Think That's about right. TSA workers. And so we stood up temporary food distributions to make sure that they had the food that they need. We will continue to do that. We'll make sure we're getting information out to folks about where to connect with food. But the reality is is that our elected officials need to get to work. They need to choose a speaker. They need to pass a budget. They need to be strengthening these these programs. But despite that, the, the Greater Chicago Food Depository is preparing in case there is hope for the best, a government prepare shutdown. for the worst. Yep. What do you want to see in this farm bill? Well, uh, the farm bill is a, a really important piece of legislation for food and for nutrition assistance in our country. There are a couple of programs in there that are critical. One is the SNAP program, also known as Food Stamps, or Link in Illinois. It's our nation's largest program, serves 2 million people here in Illinois. Um, there are some proposals to cut the program, but it's a really great opportunity to strengthen it. For example, seniors on the program disproportionately qualify for the lowest benefit of about $22 a month. Mm -hmm. We should be increasing the minimum benefit for seniors to make sure they have the nutrition they need. Um, One in four college students faces food insecurity, and yet this is a group of people that face some of the most convoluted, confusing eligibility rules of anyone on SNAP, simplifying that, making sure this is, by and large, young people who are trying to gain skills, make themselves more compatible, competitive for the workforce. Isn't yeah. that something that we would want to support wow. as a country? So making it easier for them to connect with food assistance as they're completing college. Um, there are opportunities to um, food banks, as I talked about. We're serving more and more people and food costs are going up. The Farm Bill also includes a really important program, the TFAP program that provides commodities to food banks. We need to see more USD, USDA food support as well. Yeah. Well, uh, as we we talked about, the government's just weeks away from another round of budget talks and another potential government shutdown. Now, if the government does shut down, as you talked about, uh, you know, food assistance will immediately stop. As you said, you know, it puts nutrition program funding immediately at risk. Here's a little bit of what Tamisha Holyfield, who's a a local WIC recipient, recently had to say on our program. I don't know if you all are aware, but a gallon of milk is six dollars. It's a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so to get that assistance where it seems like it's not much, but it is much when cost of living went up, cost of food went up. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to pay to breathe now. That went up. I still have to pay seven cents for a bag. And now you're cutting what's helping supplement that extra food in my home, the vegetables, the fruit. The, the bread, the grains, things to try to keep us healthy because we can go get a bag of Doritos and Cheetos and those are all inexpensive foods, but yet they cut years off of our life. Mm-hmm. So WIC has helped us change our diet in our home to, to add years onto our life and keep life healthy. And that's the thing, right? This isn't about the, the chips and, you know, all the unhealthy foods. What, what could you add to that, Sophie? No, it's, um, I, I, 
you know, one of the most important things we do in our work around advocacy is amplifying the voice of our neighbors. And nobody could speak more eloquently than that about why this program is important, Mm -hmm. the impact that it has on on her family. And that is just um, multiplied across thousands of individuals one of many stories 100 percent. yeah well what are you going to keep your eye on moving forward well we are going to um, continue to advocate for a robust safety net we're going to always protect against cuts but you know we need to make these programs stronger see the sorts of investments in people that we saw during um, covid we will continue to do everything we can through our network of um, community partners to make sure that no one in Chicago goes hungry, that they can have that access to food, whether it's a meal or a pantry. Um, And, you know, we will continue to look at what the root causes of hunger are. Um, I would really like to, to, to speak for a minute about, you know, why do we have hunger? Please. And, you know, hunger in the U.S., it's not like what you might see internationally, right? It's not famine, it's not war. It's resources. It's people not having income. And sometimes that's the economy. There's a recession. Everybody loses, you know, a lot of people lose a job. It's also things around um, policy. Do we have adequate wages? Do we have work supports? Do we have pay time off for people with families for them to be able to access jobs? But importantly, you know, it's, it's really critical that we name that um, it also has a lot to do with systemic racism. There are, um, you know, people of color disproportionately lack access to quality education, to transportation, to get to jobs, you know, to good paying jobs in their community. There's no wonder then that we see increased rates of hunger and poverty among people of color. And so when we think about solutions, absolutely, we're going to advocate for strong nutrition programs, but we also need to think about some of those root causes. And that's a question we're really asking ourselves at the food depository asking our policymakers as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Sophie Milam, Vice President of Public Policy and Advocacy at the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Thank you so much. Thank you. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Meha Ahmed and Micah Yason. Don't forget, we drop episodes every day from Monday to Friday with an extra pod on Saturday. We bring you the latest happenings in and around Chicago, from arts to news to politics to sustainability. We've got you covered. We also have a daily newsletter. You can sign up for that at wbez.org slash reset news. That's it for the pod. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.